most of the time I'm in a family's home. So it's really easy to just be like, okay, we're going to, I'm just going to take dad and the kids, or I'm going to take these kids individually. And like, mom might need to go have a breather. And like, I might joke with her depending on, you know, the client and depending on how I feel out the situation. If I can sense that she's really stressed out, I might just have her snuggle into her husband and lay down with him for a minute and like listen to his heartbeat or like something. I mean, it can be anything when that mom is truly present, when she's able to just see like, oh my gosh, here's me and my family and my kids and my husband. This is amazing. Like there's no way that she's going to be stressed. Welcome to The Photo Report. Today we're talking with Brooke Schultz, who is an incredible family photographer, incredible photographer in general, but she specializes in families and does a really, really good job at getting the family to be just real. And you just look at the photos of the kids, like how do you get kids to do what you want? And we discuss all that in this episode and we go into so much more about the balance of being a mom plus a creative, sort of the internal struggles with that. We talk about meditation and how she uses that, All you know, so many things. So I hope you love it. It's a good one. I'm Braden Flynn, your host, and this is the photo report. Before we get into the episode, two quick announcements from our sponsor, Film Supply Club. The first one is that they started a new Instagram account, which is Film Supply Club Street, all one word, no spaces or dashes. And that one is focusing on pretty much no wedding work, where the other Instagram account, Film Supply Club, is mostly wedding work because there's a lot of good old wedding photographers that are a part of Film Supply Club. But Film Supply Club Street is focusing on portraiture, landscapes, street photography, all on film, and some really, really amazing work if you want to go follow that. The second announcement is they're starting to sell cameras. Anything to basically to get film in your hands easier and cheaper is their goal. And so there's cameras, everything from your basic point and shoots to Canon AE-1s, like very good entry-level cameras where you're still doing manual focus, manual exposure, up to really high-end pro-level cameras from the Contax 645, other medium format situations, Pentax 67, Mamiya 67s, Mamiya 7s, like such rad cameras. So they're on there. Check it out, filmsupply.club, and go save yourself some money and get yourself some film. Now on to the show. Well, Brooke, so good to have you on here. Thanks for just being here to share your knowledge. Oh, Brayden, I am so thrilled. It's a treat. Yeah. Uh, so for people that don't know what you do, can you just give, I mean, you don't have to do, I'm almost like not going to ask this question anymore just because I want to get straight into the heart of it, but just give a little background on what you do. You don't even have to say like how you got into photography, but you know, just what are you doing? Cool. Yeah. So I am a family photographer. I shoot families mostly in their homes on film. And I'm also doing education and workshops and goodies for other photographers too. Rad. And with that, you, so with families and lifestyle, just talk about how, what, what does that even mean? And how does, how is that different than just like a regular family shoot? Yeah. So the biggest difference is just that most of the time people aren't looking at the camera. <laughs> if that, if you want to kind of dig into the specifics of it. Um, but the way that I like to think about it is that it's more capturing people as they are. And also it's a very truthfully selfish way for me to explore my ideas about family. And I'm really fascinated by why we 
are in families when it's so much work. And (laughs) I mean, on paper, it just makes no sense. So it's so fun for me to go and see how families are and also explore kind of my ideas of motherhood and what it means to be in a family. So a lot of that is more emotion-based and trying to create a particular feeling in a photograph of a family versus just, okay, here's a documentation of our faces. Here's a documentation of us in 17 different poses, smiling at the camera. Yeah. That kind of thing. Totally. And I mean, cause I'm get a lot of our audiences, photographers, and you've got people that are that whole different background of either pros, they're either wedding photographers, they, or, I mean, think of, I don't actually know this, but I'm assuming a lot of people that shoot families as well. And with just thinking through the approach of how you go into that, because I, I mean, that's a big, I'm a big fan of your work, but then also just like that whole lifestyle element. So there's client expectations and I, I mean, obviously people are probably booking you because they know what you do. So they sort of know what they're getting, but a lot of people who probably contact you, they're needing that Christmas card photo, you know? So how do you go in and approach a lifestyle shooter? How do you walk them through it? And then I've got more questions from there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. This is such a great question because I mean, that's kind of the classic issue of how do you manage expectations versus what you want to do? And I think it's an interesting question because it kind of assumes that what you want to do and what the client wants are going to be different. And that may or may not be the case, right? So lots of photographers approach it thinking, oh, I need to have like this huge sit down conversation with them to say, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm not going to do. And here's all the ways that I'm basically going to let you down and not do what you want and only do what I want. And that's definitely not the case. And so I, it's not that I don't take the smiling pictures. It's just that I take probably five and then the rest of the, it's just the focus is not there. So I think that photo needs to be taken not only for Christmas cards, but for posterity, but it's that issue of what's what are we really interested in? And so I think at some point, yeah, you might need to have a conversation with clients, especially if you have clients that are coming back to you who you've been doing more traditional type imagery with them and you want to transition to a more lifestyle, candid, kind of whatever label you want to put onto it type of session. Yeah. You definitely need to have a conversation about like, okay, here's where I'm shifting. I'd love you to come along. Um, but at a certain point, yeah, when you show only what you want to shoot, then you're able to attract the type of client who only wants what you put out and only wants that really emotional, candid, um, more unraveled type of imagery. So I think it is, it's, it's a tricky thing to say, here's step one, two, and three, because it all depends on where you are, of course, but it's really about first assuming that people want what you're, what you want. And so I think that is, That sounds really simple, but the more I talk to photographers, the more I realize that they don't assume that their clients want what they want. They assume that they want all these really traditional things, and it's just not always true. 
Totally. Yeah. I mean, here's an example that I think is very similar to what you're talking about. So let's say for a wedding, I, I have a lot of, I mean, it's, there's a difference between how I respond now versus how I responded in my early days where the, the bride will say, listen, we love your candid work and that's all we want. You know, we don't want anything posed. We don't want anything like that. And I say, listen, I get it. Like those are the photos that I love too, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm, it's going to be both. And, you know, so we're, we're, yeah. I mean, we're going to get those shots, but after I get that shot, I'm still going to walk up to the group of people and I'm going to say, Hey, can you turn around, look at the camera, smile, but I'm, I mean, not that way, but like, I'm still, I'm going to get the candid photo. Cause we're looking for that energy. We're looking for the pat. We're looking for the people laughing at a table, but then going to walk up and say, Hey guys, can you grab your photo and get everyone together and snap, snap, you know? And I also explain to the couples, I say, listen, as much as we love, and this is I'm not saying this to be anti-lifestyle. I, I just realized that it's sort of the opposite. <laughs> no, but, you're good. but for a wedding, when the cut, when the client is saying, this is what we want, I would say, listen, as much as that is what we like, the photos that people buy, and I'm, and I say this to the couple, I say, I'm not saying this to sell prints, but it's more of just a proof is in the pudding is the photos of them looking at the camera, you know, or in my early days, I would, I would do that. And then mom would write me and be saying, where are these photos? I'm saying, well, your daughter right. didn't want them. And mm -hmm. so now I just say, listen, I understand what you want. And, and I think it is really important to understand client expectations, but then also being able to say, okay, we're going to get this, but here else is, this is also what we're going to do. Does that yeah, sort of play for sure. out? And yeah, exactly. And I also think that it's so key to be able to fast track those more checklist shots so that you can get into kind of the meat of why you're really there, like for you and for the client. Cause if you're, when you're new, then you just spend all your time figuring out how do I get a good picture of everybody looking at the camera and like in good light, you know, you're just figuring out the basics, but once you have that under your belt, you can knock those out really fast and then you're able to move on from that. And kids, I mean, I don't specialize in children photography and, and family photography, but I've definitely done my share and kids don't last that long, you know? So if yeah. you're trying to do a forced photo and then the other thing that I found that I, and I would love to know how you deal with this is so often I <laughs> moms get so stressed about how getting, you know, they've probably, maybe they've put in time and not talking about my own wife, but maybe they put in a lot of time for like styling the outfits and this. Mm -hmm. And then if the kids are not performing, there's this layer of stress, like just smile at the camera. Oh, You're like, totally. Oh, totally. Mom, hold on. Like, what do you, how do you approach yeah. those situations and what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that definitely happens. And I've never been that mom before for sure. Not. <laughs> no. Yeah. So it, it first starts with an empathy for what that parent is going through, whether it's a mom who's stressed out or whether it's a dad who feels uncomfortable and doesn't know what to do with himself. Like, I think that getting your own family or just your own self, if you don't have a family photographed often is really key for getting that empathy under your belt. And then once you realize, okay, like I would be doing the same thing yeah. if I were in her shoes, I would be doing the same thing if I were that dad, then you realize, okay, this is not a big problem. That's the other thing that I hope people take away is like anything that can be thrown at you in a family shoot. It's not the end of the world. It's not a big deal. And the where people go wrong is that 
they, one thing comes and they just think, oh no, this was not supposed to happen. This is the absolute end of the shoot and it's all just going downhill from here. But the great thing about kids is that they bounce back so quickly. So they might be mad. They might be not performing. They might be going crazy and not smiling at the camera and that's not going to last forever. Like you said, they don't last. Nothing lasts with kids. If they're listening, that's not going to last. If they're not listening, that's also not going to last most of the time. So helping mom, like you said, manage that situation is really for me about a couple of things. It can be if mom is really like having a moment and having a hard time, I might actually remove her and most of the time I'm in a family's home. So it's really easy to just be like, okay, we're going to, I'm just going to take dad and the kids, or I'm going to take these kids individually. And like mom might need to go have a breather. And like, I might joke with her depending on, you know, the client and depending on how I feel out the situation. But often it's also just like how you physically pose the situation. So I might have mom if I can sense that she's really stressed out, I might just have her snuggle into her husband and lay down with him for a minute and like listen to his heartbeat or like something. I mean, it can be anything, but anything to just physically move from that place of stress to a place of presence. Like if you're, I'm really into meditation lately. So I feel like those principles apply to a family session and when that mom is truly present, when she's able to just see like, oh my gosh, here's me and my family and my kids and my husband. This is amazing. Like there's no way that she's going to be stressed. So I hope that's like practical and big picture at the same time. Totally. Um, tangent, what, what sort of meditation do you do and how often and all that jazz? Yeah, I'm, so there's a free course that is about it's mindfulness-based stress reduction. I can give you the link if you want to share it with your people, but, um, so it's really about mindfulness. Meditation is kind of where I started with things, but I've dabbled in lots of different kinds of meditation. And, um, I actually, (laughs) I just laugh when I say this, but I record my own meditations and like listen to them back because (laughs) you know what you need more than anybody else, you know? And so I, with the things I'm working on, like it can be goals, it can be stuff with my family, it can be just presence, whatever it is. It really helps to have my own voice. And like, I can do a 10 minute one or I can do a 20 minute one. So I try to meditate five days a week is kind of my, um, my usual. And some weeks I get fancy and do all seven. And some weeks I do like three days a week, but mostly, mostly Monday through Friday is my, is my thing. Good for you. And for people that are listening and maybe like, why the hell would I meditate? (laughs) It's it's like super, I listen to tons of audiobooks and tons. It's basically in the Silicon Valley space. Like every, it's it's in right now, you know. And, and a lot of the top performers in the world all have meditation practices, you know. So what? I guess from how, I don't know how long you maybe you can say how long you've been doing it, but with that, have you do you notice results or difference? And what what is that? Yeah, I've noticed a huge difference. Um, so I've been meditating seriously for probably like two months only, like not very long and, um, dabbling in meditation for probably a year or two. Um, but like committed probably two months. And in that time I have noticed 
like, I can't even tell you how many changes, but the biggest one is that I just noticed that I'm way more patient, way more adaptable, way more present with my kids specifically. And, um, so anybody who's struggling with like work-life balance, I would definitely recommend meditation as a way to help you transition from work to being with your family and to, cause I think a lot of times as creative people, well, just for me, I'll speak for myself. Like I want to do all the things I want to live all the creative lives and I want to be present for my kids. So it's like, that doesn't really work. And so there's lots of times where I feel like I'm with my family, but I'm thinking about work or I'm at work, but I'm thinking about my family. And so meditation really helps with that. Again, it's just being present and just accepting what is in that moment. And so I'm able to more readily be with my family when I'm with my family and work and vice versa. Yeah. Is it okay if I ask you more deeper personal questions? Absolutely. All right. Let's like, get it. What, <laughs> what is be, it just sort of like made me think of it because I, I think that that creative problem that you have is very common with wanting to do all yeah. the things and wanted to do, I mean, perfectionism is a driver and um what what are the things that you i guess mentally really struggle with or beat yourself up with mm mhm yeah. The biggest one is, is being present with my family that lots of times when I'm with my kids, I am not totally there. And, um, a big part of that honestly is because my middle daughter has some special needs. And so she's really challenging and really demanding. Um, and so it's really easy for me to check out mentally even, or just like hide in the bathroom for a minute and have a moment. Um, because she, like when she, I'm with her, then she, she's basically like a baby, even though she's four in the sense of like, she demands all of your attention and she really struggles with behavior and that kind of thing. So anyway, <laughs> didn't mean to like go into a big thing about her, but, um, being present with my family is my biggest thing. And, um, even just being content in motherhood has been a real struggle for me. And I'm not, I'm not naturally the kind of mom who can just be content to stay at home. I'm, and I'm, and so it drives my work as well. Like I'm endlessly fascinated by moms and how they do it. And like, I, I joke that I, I use photography as a way to just spy on people. Like, I just want to go into people's houses and just be like, how are you doing this? How are you, how are you loving being a mom? Because it's that, it's that struggle between like, of course I love my kids. There's no question, but do I love being a mom? Do I love being a mostly stay at home mom? Who's also creative. And it's this trap of like, I don't want to be there to raise my kids full time, but I don't want anybody else doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that, that struggle is, is really central both in my personal life and it's what I use my work to explore as well. And with that in the struggle, I guess, how does it play out? Cause obviously like you want to be present and there's a struggle there, but then it's also exhausting being present. I guess where, where do you find yourself beating your, like, what are the inner voices telling you? Like, are, is it, is it that I'm not a good enough mom? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like, I guess what, no, yeah. what are the things that you repeated have to like in your meditations, tell yourself to shut up or ignore those thoughts? 
Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the big one is, yeah, I'm not a good enough mom or I'm not I'm not good at motherhood is kind of a persistent thought that comes back. Um, I'm not cut out for motherhood. I wish I were more like these other moms, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, the, the meditation and, um, kind of my recent personal growth has really helped me to realize that those are thoughts and they're not me necessarily. And so I don't identify with them the same way that I once did. And it helps me to just be more intentional in examining, okay, why am I doing what I'm, what I'm doing? Am I working to avoid the real work of motherhood or am I, um, using my kids as an excuse not to go after what I really want? Like that kind of tension is definitely something that I struggle with and explore a lot. Have you, since you said you are exploring, basically you're observing all these other moms are so intrigued by moms that you feel like are doing it when you get to know them or when you do that exploration, are they actually doing it or are they actually, you know, do you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's yeah. one thing to look at someone on Instagram who's killing it. And then they post sure. these great photos of their kids and it looks mm-hmm. like they are doing both really well. Like, is that the case or are they having the same mental battles? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Especially because our perceptions of other people are so tied to our perceptions of ourselves and what we're what we're dealing with. So, someone I, I heard at a conference once they said we compare our insides to everybody else's outsides, which is oh, even sure. even more heightened with being able to watch people on Instagram. You know, which is like mm-hmm. such a like false like point of reality that they're showing you to look yeah. great. You know. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I would say that there are definitely moms who I know up close and personal who are what I like make them out to be and who are the kind of moms that I once dreamed about being. But the realization that I've had to adopt and the belief that I've chosen on purpose intentionally is that my kids will be better for my creative ambition and my kids will be better for having watched me chase my own dreams and that I can't expect my kids to go chase their own dreams if I don't chase mine. And so while that may not be the reality of these other moms that I watch who have always wanted to be moms and that was always what they wanted to do. And I have, you know, in the past been really jealous of that kind of of that kind of mentality, I've realized I don't actually want that for myself. I don't actually want to give up all of these things because I feel like they're inherently part of me. And if I'm being totally real, I feel like they're part of my life mission and what I'm put on this earth to do. So I can't divorce those parts of me from myself. And so to make peace with that, I have to believe that my kids will be better for it. Yeah. That's, that's great. And I I think it's true. Like if, if your cup is empty, you know, there's, there's nothing for you to give. And, and sometimes we, I mean, I think for anybody, if they're not pursuing something that gives them life, then what, what do they have to give everybody else? Right. Right. And I mean, we've all met those people who want 
to do something or want to go after something, but aren't doing it. And the pain of that, like Brene Brown says, unused creativity is not benign. It metastasizes. It morphs into rage, jealousy, all those really like yucky things that we don't want for ourselves. But we think that we're doing everyone a favor by not going after the thing, right? We think that we're like playing it safe, but I mean, anybody who's interacted with anybody who has adopted that knows that it's no fun to be around that person, that they're not contributing. And by them not going after that thing, it really has this huge domino effect, not only for them, but for everyone in their sphere of influence that it ends up being way worse than if they had gone after the thing and failed. Totally. Yeah. Those are good words. Uh, with <laughs> Have you, I think it sounds like you've come to some really good realizations in, in a lot of that of, of even, I think part of it is, is just straight up acknowledging, Hey, I can't do all of it. And I think if Mm -hmm. we don't, if we don't tell ourselves that, or even admit that it, it's really disastrous because then it's, I mean, and I'm speaking from experience, I get to this stage of feeling like I'm a failure at everything I'm doing, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and Mm -hmm. everyone (laughs) else on the outside is saying like, you're killing it, you know, but yeah, when you're trying to do everything at an exceptional level, it's not possible and something fails or everything or or not fails, something, um, suffers or everything suffers, you know? Right. Um, Exactly. But with that, like the things that you've realized, what, what are your, like, what is your vision of success? Like how, if you, if you were to say like, this is what, cause I mean, balance is only possible if some, you know, like something has to give at certain points and there's, you know, one yeah. mantra you can say, you've got to balance is not possible. You have to be all in where you are. So you're mm-hmm. off balance and sometimes of your life, but I think, you know, it balances throughout the day or the year, or however <laughs> that goes. but like what, what yeah. does like doing this all well look like for you? Or, or you even mentioned like what your dreams are, like what your, your potential or limiting that, like, what do you, where would you like to be? And what are you doing to get there? Yeah. Yeah. I love this because I just taught a whole class on this at the photo native conference about chasing your own version of success and uh, that we have this prescribed version of success. Like you're saying, that's basically just perfection and on all counts. (laughs) And so you can't, obviously can't do that. So where are you going to strive and where are you going to throw your energy? And for me, the answer is that I am still exploring it and I'm still trying to figure out because it's my, it's my gift and my curse that I think that everything is possible. And I think that I can have it all. And so that's, that's a really great thing when you're talking about things that you've never done before. And, um, when I, when I kind of threw away the prescribed version of success, that was for me, basically shoot as many people as possible, have as many clients as possible, make as much money as possible. Um, just more, more, more of everything. Then I started to really sink into, okay, I, want to shoot less. I want to shoot like three to four families a month. Um, I don't want to be shooting every week or multiple times a week. That's not feasible for where I am in my life right now. Um, but I also wanted to see if I could make more money while shooting less. And so 
I did that. I made two or three times as much money while working half as much and Saturdays home with the family, uh, not working nights. That's a big one for me. So right now I honestly have kind of little measures of success, but I'm still working on, okay, what's my big picture version of success? What's my kind of ultimate, my ultimate. And, um, it's still, it's still in progress, partially because I'm trying to figure out, okay, what's possible with what I want for my family and for me with my kids. And also, uh, what I'm, because I think that lots of times success is just talked about in terms of just hustle, 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 and work as hard as you can and you'll get there. And I totally believe that, but what happens when that hard, hard work comes at the expense of relationships or comes at the expense of health or anything else that we would say, yeah, that's success too. Good health is success. Great relationships are success. So I think that it gets messy when you're trying to define kind of a whole big picture. So sorry that that wasn't like a clear answer, but the, the, yeah, the bottom line is that I've got, I've got the little measures at the moment and I'm still, I'm still working out the big picture. Yeah. What, and what did you do to, I mean, obviously people, the dream sort of is to work less and make more. What is it that you shifted to be doing that? Yeah. So the biggest thing was just multiple streams of income. Like I added on my online course and workshops and different things like that and realized that if I was going to make more and work less, that I needed to leverage my time and not continue to trade time for dollars where like I go to a shoot, I'm getting paid X number of dollars per hour. And then, you know, figuring that out on the back end, like, even if that number is something that you would be really happy with, and it is like arguably a really high number, you max out at the number of hours that you can work. And so to really scale, then you have to figure out how to leverage that time and not trade dollars for hours anymore. Right. Totally. And so it wasn't as much increasing your prices for your shoots it was adding more no. things that you're offering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because again, even if you increase that price for your shoot, like you still max out at a certain point of the number of shoots that you can accommodate as a, as a photographer. And then, I mean, I'm not saying that courses or online stuff is the only way to do it. Of course you can do associate photographers and you can, I mean, there's many ways to scale, but just thinking about that idea of maxing out at a certain number of hours that you can work a certain number of shoots that you can accommodate and take on really helped me to think about it in a completely different way versus like, okay, I'm just going to be increasing my prices and losing clients and having to give, get new clients every year till I retire. Like that didn't seem that didn't add up. Yeah, no, I mean, it's my biggest mental conversation because it's like, I'm the sole breadwinner for my family and it's really expensive where I live and I travel a lot already and it's taxing Mm -hmm. my family and I don't want to be traveling more than I'm traveling without them at least. And Mm -hmm. I don't know how much more I can charge in the weddings that I shoot because I'm priced pretty high, you know? And, and it's, and it's, I mean, just getting more expensive to live. And it's that question of, of, yeah, what do you do? 
what and and what does the future look like and so mm-hmm. trying to do a lot mm-hmm. of things and things that I'm ed- trying to educate people on is like how do you save now when you're just getting started how do you start saving mm. so that mm. when you get down in your your uh, road and you start making more you're able to save more and then you're actually set up for mm. future success mm-hmm. instead of trading yeah. time for dollars, you know, that whole idea yeah. of making mm-hmm. your money work for you instead of you working for your money. Yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. So key. Rad. And so just to bring us back to photography after we got into all the deep and feely <laughs> stuff, thanks so much for sharing that too. I think, I mean, yeah. my big, big heart in doing this podcast is just the idea that a lot of people are doing this on their own and they are struggling with their own, you know, comparisons to everybody else or just the struggles. And so being able to hear people that are doing it and that maybe having similar struggles, you know, just how to, how to yeah, deal with that and sure. do it and not feel alone in that. So appreciate you sharing. Yeah, no, of course. I, I really appreciate you asking honestly, because I think a lot of times, yeah, success can look really glamorous from the outside, but when you're, when you're doing it and you're just showing up day after day, like that's the least glamorous thing in the world, but that's, you know, that's what it takes. So totally. And then, so back to your photography and lifestyle shoots, what, like let's, you're showing up to a house. Can you just walk us through like what it looks like and what you're doing? Yeah. So I walk in and the first thing that I want to do is talk to the kids and get down on their level. I've already talked to mom and dad, like they are on board with me. They've paid me dollars. Like we're good. I don't need to really talk to them at first. Who I need to win over is the kids. So I get down physically on their level and I know their names and their ages. So I usually guess their names or guess their ages. And I ask them to show me their rooms and instantly, like 99% of the time, honestly, that builds enough rapport to get us through the session. And it helps a lot that we're in their space and in a place where they can feel like they're in charge and that I'm not just one more adult telling them what to do, but that instead I'm there to like not only have fun, but also be interested in them. I think a lot of photographers are like, yeah, I need to put on this whole big show and this big personality to win the kids over. But really all it takes is just being interested in the kid. And that's something that a lot of us adults look skim over. So after they show me their room, then I'm going to set up the, the everybody smiling at the camera shot. And then after that, we can, we can play and, and get fancy, but that's kind of, that's the, that's the, that's the good starting baseline. And how long are you typically in a home? <laughs> I wish it was shorter, but I, I usually, I usually get out of there after about two hours. Two I, hours. And after two hours, everybody wants to kick me out the door. Like I, but I just, I joke that my, I have to close my eyes and not like see my clients anymore because after we get that momentum rolling, then it's just this beautiful exchange. And I'm like obsessed with them. And they're they're just like, Kate, we need you to leave. Be out of here now. But, you know, I think a lot of photographers have this experience where you get your best stuff towards the end of the shoot. And so when it's going well, like I just want to keep going and going and going. So, yeah. And you it's always at the house. (laughs) Not always. No, I I do shoots outdoors and um, lots of times if people are coming in from out of town, we'll shoot outside, too. So I'm I love both. Yeah. 
Fun. And then I guess when you are doing, you've got a workshop coming up, which is sold out. Awesome. Congrats. Um, <laughs> Thanks. But what are you, what are you typically trying to teach, I guess, or what are people coming to you for and what is, what are some good things that you like to leave them with? Yeah. So the, the retreat is actually like, I call it kind of the 201, the online course that I created. I used to teach just everything that I know about shooting families in a one day workshop and it was too much for people. So I put all of that, like all the tips and tricks, every game, every like thing that I know about how to shoot a family and set yourself up for success. So you can have that creative time, that beautiful exchange into an online course. And then the retreat is taking all of that and applying it to a family shoot. So are we having an echo? No, I think the people next to me are probably talking. Okay. Sorry. I'll cut that. I no hope worries. you're like editing stuff. No, yeah, you're good. Um, so yeah, so the retreat is applying all of that in person because I was seeing that as people were taking the course, they would still be coming up against blocks in a family shoe. And when they would tell me, I'd be like, okay, this is where you use this trick or this tip, or this is where you utilize this principle. And they'd be like, oh, okay. But actually, you know, to have knowledge is one thing and like to have the know-how is step one, but actually to be able to make the jump to applying that in real time at a session with a family, when you're trying to manage, you know, 80 different things in a shoot that takes the extra step. So the retreat is really about like having everybody take a turn and directing the families and having a turn to like, it's kind of like riding a unicycle, you know, like you can read a book about riding a unicycle. You can watch YouTube videos of other people riding a unicycle, but until you get on the unicycle and like have somebody there by your side to say like, okay, here's what you do now. And here's what you need to do next. Then that's when you can really skyrocket your learning and really integrate those concepts into your shoots going home. I really wanted people to be able to see a difference in their work. And like a lot of workshops, sometimes you go and you feel super inspired, but then you're kind of clueless as to like what to do when you get home or where to start when you get home. And it can be really overwhelming. So I wanted to make a space where people had all the tools that they needed to learn the material, but also to apply it and like keep it as part of their shoot process. Amazing. Um, and so with that, just coming away, it, are most of the people coming, they typically shoot family photos. Are they just getting into it? Is that, yeah. Yeah, it varies. Like I've had people who have never shot a family before and are like coming to kind of shoot a family for the first time. And then I've had people who have been shooting for 20 plus years and the principles are the same. And I actually, honestly, it can be easier sometimes if you're more green because you don't have all these like bad habits that you have to unlearn. You're just kind of building from ground zero, which is kind of fun sometimes. Totally. And when P I'm, I'm sure people ask when they come to workshops or ask you how about pricing, how does, how does one price a, you know, lifestyle type <laughs> shoot where you're spending a little bit more time 
and yeah, and that, or even how do you price or is it, and with that, it's not just like the number, but then also sort of what's included. Are you trying to sell prints and all that jazz? Yeah. So right now I do everything all a cart. So there's a session fee that basically just covers my costs of film and then, um, everything after the fact they can purchase online. And so that's files and prints and, you know, all of those things. But I find that because I'm shooting a lot of other photographers, it's like, they just want the files and they print themselves. Hopefully they're printing themselves. I like need to have a system where I like keep people honest about, are you actually printing (laughs) or not? But yeah, so it's, it's all separate and I have different, you know, sets of file sizes, but I try to keep it simple because it's online and I'm not doing in-person sales right now that I keep it to a minimum as far as like you're buying all the files. I don't offer, I offer like a one, you can buy one high res file, but I don't offer like five files for this much or 10 files for that much. It's like a set of all the files in different sizes. Awesome. Well, cool. This, I think this was really, really helpful and um, I feel like that's Thanks. a good little stopping point, but where can people follow you, look more stuff up and, and all that jazz? Yeah, no, I'd love to give your listeners a little freebie. So if you're curious as to more of how to prep clients for a lifestyle session and, or you want to know how do you ask what, what questions to ask before you get to the family shoot. I have my questionnaire that you can download. It's a questionnaire that I send to all the families I shoot and it's an audio training about how to prep clients for a lifestyle family session. So that's at brookschultzphotography.com forward slash goodies. And you can, you know, I'm sure you have like show notes that you can link to and all that good stuff, but, um, that's where they can snag that. And then I'm just at Brooke B Schultz on Instagram. That's where the social media, where you can find me most and just brookschultzphotography.com. If you want to check out the work and the online course and all that goodness. Fun. And it'll be in the title of the episode, but can you just spell your last name for us? Yeah, it's S C H U L T Z. Awesome. <laughs> and Brooke with an E. <laughs> Brooke with an E. Uh, cool, Brooke. Well, thank you so much. I feel like oh, this is going to be so much. resonate with a lot of people. And appreciate your time. Thank you. Appreciate you doing what you do. <laughs> Thanks so much, Brayden. It's been a pleasure. really hope you were able to pull something away from that episode or just resonated with you. And if there's anything that did connect, go shoot Brooke a message. It's Brooke B. Schultz on Instagram. You could give her a little message, shoot us a message over at the photo report, anything that you want to hear about hear anyone you want to hear from would love to be putting out content that you want to hear about. So you can shoot us a message over at the photo report. It's just at the photo report, all one word, and we'd love to hear from you. So And until the next one, we're trying to post every Monday and every Thursday. So be on the lookout, make sure you're subscribed and we love it anytime you share it. So thanks so much. Bye.